You're listening to the Business Shorts Podcast, where we interview successful small business owners in unique markets, all in under 30 minutes. If you want to start a small business and you're not sure what market to enter, or you're looking for actionable advice on how to improve your existing business, you're in the right place. For more information, show notes, and more, check out bshortspodcast.com. So today, I'm really excited to welcome to the show Aliyah Ott with Investors in Action. Really excited to talk to her regarding self-storage, something that Henry and I actually are interested in. We do real estate together. So this is one niche of real estate that we're really excited to learn about. So Aliyah, great pleasure to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you very much, Sebastian. And also to Henry, I appreciate being on the show. So why don't we start with a short background and maybe the quick story about how you got into the self-storage business? Definitely. I've always been interested in real estate. I've been involved in real estate for over 15 years at this point. You know, it starts with residential and then you move and morph into something else. So it's an evolution. I started by fixing and flipping and doing single family rentals. And then at some point, it was about 2009, 2010, I met my business partner, Terry Garner, and she and I decided to become private lenders. So we did that for a number of years. We were lending money on fix and flip transactions. And we got to a point where we realized that we really wanted steady cash flow. With lending money, money is great because you're doing a really idle business. You have your money lent to a borrower, you're making, you know, double digit returns on that and they're doing all the work, but that money comes back to you. You have to find another project to lend on and so on and so on. And it was about that time when we had this conversation about cash flow that our other partner Al came to us and said, Hey, I need money. And instead of structuring just a loan, we actually put a whole business together. And ever since then, we've purchased 12 self-storage properties and we're continuing to buy properties as much as we can that fit our criteria. And we really specialize in a niche of self-storage, which is to buy underperforming properties, which means they're poorly managed or poorly marketed and they have lower occupancy than the local market can bear. And so we look at those as opportunities to increase occupancy, increase rent, and of course, increase the overvalue of the property. Gotcha. So why self-storage? I mean, passive income is is big in the real estate industry, looking at single family rentals. A lot of people go from there to multifamily rentals, but why self-storage? What, what makes it so attractive? Well, there's a number of reasons that I like self-storage over other niches in even commercial real estate. I've had some experience with mobile home park and apartment complexes. And what's nice about self-storage that's unique to those classes is it doesn't have a person living in it, except for maybe a manager or, you know, one or two apartments, but you don't have people living on site. And when you remove that element of the human factor from the actual property itself, you really lower your liability. And so you don't have a lot of people coming on site, you know, day in, day out, you might have a handful of, of tenants coming and checking their items in storage, but it's not continuous. The other thing about storage is really low maintenance. If you can imagine, you basically have three walls and a roll-up door 
and concrete floors, maybe cinder block or steel construction. So it's very simple construction. You don't have paint, carpet, drywall repairs to make plumbing issues, HVAC issues typically. So it's really low maintenance, and that's another big reason why we like it. So overall, it's just minimizing your management issues and also your overall construction costs for your management and maintenance costs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Sebastian and I have had properties and and people are the biggest risk and just they're wild cards. And, you know, when they make mistakes, it's big mistakes that cost you a lot of money. So I can definitely understand that perspective. One question is in terms of a financial perspective, what is a the capitalization rate, you know, a cap rate being for those who don't know a, a net operating income compared to what the fair market value of that property is. So what can someone expect? if they purchase self-storage unit outright on an annual basis? Sure. It's very interesting because the cap rates are very low right now nationwide. And this has been declining with the heat of the market. Everybody's interested in real estate and it's been escalating over the past five years. It's also a factor of low interest rates. And so when people can borrow money at a very low interest rate, their yields change meaning that put your money down and then you're leveraging a lot of cash, let's say 75% of the overall value of the property you could purchase with a loan from a bank. If that bank is lending to you at 5 or 6%, that helps you lower the overall cost that you have to pay on a monthly basis. And so what that's done is lowered the cap rate. And that's good and bad. It depends on what side of the coin you're on. It's definitely a seller's market right now. There's a very high demand, especially from hedge funds looking to purchase self-storage units. And I would say, again, it depends on what part of the country you're in, depends on the quality of the property. But we've seen cap rates as low as 4%, which means you're making 4% on your money annualized if you paid all cash for that property, which really isn't all that great. As I mentioned, we have a special niche, so we look for lower occupancy properties. We might get into the property at, let's say, a six to an eight cap, but because we're driving up the rents and because we're driving up the occupancy from the net operating income from the day that we buy it, we're able to increase that effective cap rate to something in the low to mid double digits. So it's really about your play when you buy the property and what you can do with it. Sometimes people are just looking to hold their cash in something that's a little bit more secure like real estate. And other people like us are looking for a more developmental play where we can increase our yield. So 4% cap is certainly something that doesn't excite a lot of people. So I think (laughs) buying something and increasing its value I think is very attractive. So what are the types of things that you do to boost that cap rate and to increase the value of the property? One of the first things that we do is we look at the overall marketing that the current owner is doing. So in many cases, we're still able to buy properties that don't have a website, believe it or not. And these are typically owned by mom and pop sellers who perhaps have owned the property for 20 or 30 years. They didn't start with a website. They never really figured out how to add it or see the value in it. They're still advertising in the yellow pages. That's certainly not every property that we buy, but we have purchased a handful that did not have websites. So that's the first thing that we add is search engine friendly 
website and also a mobile-friendly website because nowadays over 50% of users that are looking for a storage unit are looking on their smartphone. And so if you're not mobile-friendly, meaning that your website isn't mobile-friendly, then you're probably missing out on potential leads. We also work with a number of websites, including U-Haul. So we we establish a partnership with U-Haul where we can put their trucks on our site, and that adds both an extra stream of revenue as well as exposure online through the U-Haul website. Uh, We would also partner up with a website called Barefoot, which is an aggregator, an advertising aggregator for the self-storage industry. So they spend a ton of money on ad spend on Google uh, and other places where if somebody's searching for self-storage, more often than not, they're going to come up in the top three ad spaces in the search results so that you can be found if you're listed with their site. So those are a couple key factors. So we look at the management side of things too. We, we want to make sure that the managers are properly managing delinquencies in particular. Oftentimes we'll acquire a property with a very high delinquency rate and that effectively is accounting for their low net operating income. And so we'll figure out ways to boost that It oftentimes means that we have to find a new manager or just train the existing manager in our methodology, and sometimes that alone can help. It's really interesting to note how many sellers just don't even train their managers. Perhaps, like I said, they bought it 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and they're just tired of managing the property and the property manager, so they get lazy, (laughs) and they don't do all the things that they're supposed to be doing to implement all the right marketing strategies and management strategies that they could easily do. Gotcha. Here's a question. And if, and if I'm way off base financially here, just shut me down real quick. Uh, we don't have to talk too much about it, but uh, what about buying versus building a new one? Right. So we've looked briefly at the overall cost to build. Here's the danger of building is right now you're probably building at the peak of the market. And so if you can pick up land reasonably priced, that's one thing, but you might be paying a premium for that property. You also have to go through all the entitlements with the city, make sure your zoning is correct. And then you have that time frame in which you are constructing that building. So all throughout this time frame, you have zero revenue potentially coming in from that property. What developers will often do is if they're skilled in in building a structure like self-storage, which is really a pretty simple structure, they can build it out and then they turn around and often will sell it at that low cap rate, maybe 6% or, or so of what the overall revenue should be. So it's basing it on projected income as opposed to actual income. They'll turn around and sell it to a hedge fund who's willing to pay a premium for that nice new property. And then the hedge fund that in theory specializes in self-storage could come in and start generating revenue and doing all their marketing campaigns to fill that property up. So it's possible to make good money from development. You just have a long lag time from the time that you break ground to the time you actually can bring in new tenants. And we like to start from an existing property, let's say it's half full, but the structure's already there. It's already zoned. We, we can go in and we can turn the key right away. Do banks typically offer loans 
to purchase a self-storage facility or how do you typically find funding? Yes. So we find funding in a number of different ways. We do work with private investors and that typically will cover our down payment funds of anywhere between 20 and 30%. Banks will also fund these deals. Now it really depends on the market and it depends on how full um, or how attractive the net operating income is currently so that the income can support all of the payments that go out to both the management costs and the bank and your investors. So they, they'll take a look at that and make sure that your income can support all the payments that you need to make. Banks are typically more attracted to properties that have, let's say, 70 to 80% occupancy or greater. So sometimes when we buy a property, we may not work with a traditional bank like Wells Fargo or Bank of America. We might go to a, like a secondary local bank or a credit union, or in many cases, we've used SBA funding to purchase these properties at a decent interest rate. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that I'm really passionate about, and that's the future. And something that I have a hypothesis on this with self-storage. My personal opinion is that self-storage is going to uh, increase. The market's going to get bigger. And as people are moving more into cities, more into smaller homes, and people acquire more junk, I think they're going to need more self-storage. Now, I imagine you've got some more tangible facts and studies that you can refer to. Uh, do you mind just kind of talking to me about what you see in the market go to? Is it pods? Is it you know this traditional self-storage, or have you looked into that? Yeah, there's a number of boutique types of services that people have gotten really creative with in the recent years. Um, like you mentioned pods. So what pods are is you can hire, it could be U-Haul or it could be a company called pod. They have shipping containers essentially brought out to your house or your, your business and you fill that up and then they take it away and they store it in a warehouse. So that's one way of creative use related to self-storage. There are similar businesses that are like a valet service where you take your stuff to the warehouse, but they're stacking everything. So you, they actually have to go in with a forklift and find your unit and pull it out and bring it to you in the warehouse floor. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen too often that I know of. You still have the brick and mortar self-storage facilities, just like we've had you know, for decades now. As far as the trends in the marketplace, certainly the trend of seniors and baby booners are retiring and, and going from a larger house down to a smaller house or even senior living. That would be one category of people who might consider putting their items into self-storage. When the market shifts, like it did in 2008 through 2010, the price per square foot that people were paying for their storage unit might have dropped a little bit. But the occupancies didn't significantly drop because people were in a transient situation. And so they might have been losing their home to foreclosure, but then going into an apartment, expecting that someday they're going to get back on their feet again. And they still want all their household furniture available to them. They didn't want to sell it all and start over from scratch. And of course, people typically have an optimistic outlook when things like that occur that a better day is around the corner, not too far out. They might think it's going to be three to six months out, and then they find themselves two to three years down the road still renting the same storage right. unit. So there's definitely a cushion as it 
goes with the market cycle and market timing that self-storage is one of those recession-resistant types of asset that in other cases like luxury homes or second homes, vacation homes, wouldn't fall in those categories. They would see a much bigger dip in a market correction. So I I really think that the outlook for self-storage is strong. If somebody was looking to just jump into this industry right now, they just need to be aware that the cap rates are low, meaning you're paying a premium for a storage property and occupancy rates are at an all-time high. And that's just because I think the market's good. People have extra money to be able to afford the storage unit. That's often one of the first things to go when people have to start cutting the budget. So um, it depends on what their living situation is. But definitely, if you're looking at buying storage units, look around the neighborhood and find out what types of dwellings people are living in. The more apartments, and mobile home parks you have within a five-mile radius of your prospective self-storage facility, the better, because those are people that are a little bit more transient and more likely to rent a storage facility from a storage facility. Yeah, that's a good Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. What about other niches? Have you looked into more of that? I know the funds that you're running, you know, you're trying to get larger units and you're trying to, like you said, target the, the low occupancy in ways you can add value. But what about boat storage? I've even seen wine storage and climate control, like even these niches of self-storage. Have you looked into those and can comment about financials of those? Yeah, certainly. You know, the, like things like wine storage come at a premium. And I've heard both good and bad things about the numbers behind them. For some people, they work really well. For other people, the security and the marketing and all of the added components to get people in specifically for just storing wine doesn't really make sense. I could see it working in a place like downtown San Francisco where you have such a dense population and need for extra space. If you're an entertainer, you might have a small apartment. And so you might want to, as a connoisseur of wine, you might want to look at a storage facility but most metro market people will probably store wine in their own home. So that one I'm not too excited about. Climate control, it's a give and take. It's, it's basically a wash. So you're going to pay a little bit more for a storage facility that has climate control. Your maintenance is going to be higher and your income is also going to be typically higher per square foot if you have a climate controlled unit. And that is even more so true in markets where there's high swings in temperatures, especially hot markets. So I think climate control is good. We don't really care one way or the other because the pricing of the purchase is going to be dictated. You're you're looking at the price, you're looking at the rental income, and you're deciding, okay, does it make sense to have climate controlled or not? We don't really care. A lot of our units are primarily non-climate controlled, we might have a facility that's like 30% climate controlled and 70% non-climate controlled. So that's not one I, I get overly excited about. Boat and RV storage, though. Here's one extra thing that we really like to do is when we can find a property that has extra land that isn't being utilized, we'll definitely market that land for boats, RVs, and vehicles. So that brings in added revenue without adding any extra buildings at all. So we don't necessarily build out like a shelter for those types of vehicles and just do open.
near parking. And we certainly get a lot of clients that do that. Nice. Yeah. What are typical operating expenses once you have a self-source facility up and running? Uh, obviously, in real estate, you have like insurance and and utilities or, or trash or something like that. What are the types of OPEX that happen with mm -hmm. self-storage? Obviously, your salary for your on-site manager is going to be the highest expense. Overall, you can expect your expenses if you've got a fully occupied property, meaning it's 85% occupied or higher, your management expenses are going to be roughly about 35 to 40% of your gross income. And that's going to include your manager salary. It's going to include some utilities, depending on what part of the country you're in. Those utilities might be sewer water for an office toilet or maybe a manager's apartment is going to be lighting in particular. You're going to have some electricity expenses for lighting in the gate. And then your insurance is often one of the higher expenses as well, because there's a number of different things you might need to insure for. One of them being auction liability. And that's really important because if you have delinquent tenants and you go through the auction process, then you want to make sure that your that your insurance covers that. There's an extra rider, just like if you had a home, you might have earthquake insurance. This is an extra rider that you can get in the self-storage industry. So that's one thing that we typically would purchase. So auction liability, huh? I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah because you, you, you can be auctioning off dozens of tenants a year. And if somebody feels like you had some sort of wrongful eviction situation, they can come after you for that particular thing. And we have a number of rules that we have to follow when it comes to auctions before we can actually sell somebody stuff. But even when you follow all the rules, you could have an, a, an attorney, a judge, you could have a tenant who is just digging for gold. Right. <laughs> and so they'll go down that path because you're a corporation and they think that you have more money than let's say, you know, Uncle Bob. So they're looking to put together a frivolous lawsuit in many cases. And if you don't have that coverage, sometimes even if it is a frivolous lawsuit and it goes to court, you still have to pay the attorney fees to represent yourself. And that can get into thousands of dollars when you have a unit that's sold on auction for a hundred bucks. Right. <laughs> so you want to avoid that when you can. So that actually leads to a question regarding risks. So what are some of the big risks of owning a self-storage facility? And we've covered auctions, that, which is new. Yeah, that, that really is the biggest one that comes to mind. Pest control is another one. You know, rats or we have one facility that's in Texas and they get locusts. Oh, Every August, they get locusts like clockwork, and it's just yep. kind of a random I've, pest. I've been there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know about this. You're in Texas too, right? So you've got pest control. You also have potentially a situation where if the roof or the building isn't properly maintained, you could have a flooding situation with the elements damaging items in the unit. Now, here's one thing that is pretty cool about self-storage is you can force your tenants to have insurance before they rent. They could use their homeowner's insurance or they can go out and they can get their own policy. And that's another stream of revenue as an owner. You can offer insurance 
you don't have to force them to use your insurance, but you can offer insurance and require it. And that puts all the liability back on your tenant, especially if you have all the right documentation on your lease with them, that if there's weather, pests, any of that, they're responsible for their own items, even though you're the owner of the property and, you know, really supposed to be maintaining everything as best as you can. Gotcha. Very good. Well, well, I think with that, I think we should start moving to our big questions. These are the two questions that we ask everyone on the show. The one piece of advice you would give to listeners. And to me, it sounded like get informed, look at your local associations, check out a, a couple websites, selfstorage.org, things like that. Is, is there any other big pieces of advice that you would give? I think if you're ever going to get into a niche, is you find mentors who have walked the path before you and just take them out to lunch, get to know them and ask them all the questions like you're asking me on this, a dozen people that are in that niche before you jump. And then when you're ready, pull the trigger. Don't have the fear to just sit idle. Partner up with the people you need to partner up with who don't have the skill set. If you're lacking any sort of skill set, find somebody who's skilled at that. uh, And don't be afraid to partner up. Just partner wisely and document everything. But just pull the trigger when it's the right time and you find the right opportunity. Got it. What about your favorite business book or resource or website? What's kind of the top resource you would recommend for self-storage? Really the Self-Storage Association website and inside selfstorage.com are the two go-to places. If I had, (laughs) I mean, I Google, if I have a question, I Google it and I see what comes up, but typically selfstorage.com, selfstorage.org, inside selfstorage.com. Those are all really, really great resources that have just a plethora of information associated with this industry. Awesome. Those are great tips. Yeah, thank you. And uh, kind of the last thing that we always do is give you some time to let people know where they could contact you or learn more about you. Uh, And also maybe you want to give them some information. You've mentioned your website and your courses, and I'm sure they'd be interested in looking into that. Yeah, so I'll just repeat that again. It's investorsinaction.com. And if you go to our homepage, there's just a place to provide us your contact information directly. We've got lots of free articles and resources that we can share with you, as well as putting you on the list whenever we have live events or online events. You know, we're a great resource and we're, we're very reasonably priced when it comes to education. There's people out there that charge tens of thousands of dollars for it. We don't. We just care about people having an opportunity to grow their wealth We want to see more people like us taking action. That's why we call ourselves Investors in Action. We want more people to take action because I personally have a philosophy that the more people out there that are building their wealth and have the time and freedom to do the things that they're really passionate about, then the world's going to be a better place. So that's my little mission and mantra in life is to help people do well so that they could do more good. Awesome. So we really appreciate you coming on the show. I think it's been really informative. I've taken away a lot of great tips, especially in, in this niche of the real estate industry. And we really thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks. So that was a great interview with Aliyah Ott with Investors in Action. And there's a few things that I really like about self-storage, actually. And it's really the no tenants, toilets, or termites. Well, there might be termites, actually, but... It eliminates a lot of the risk from residential 
from single family rentals and, and things like that. Things I don't really like is it, it's a hot market. It, it's definitely a seller's market. You'd have to be purchasing at low cap rates, which if you compare it side by side with the cap rates for multifamily, for example, this self-storage might come in a little lower. What do you think, Henry? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think the past are a big plus or the lack of past and including tenants. All right, I'll tell you two more things I really liked. One was the added revenue streams that can add value. So U-Haul, insurance, RV boat storage. In addition, she can increase rents and occupancy rates and that adds value on such a large project. So I really like that. But what I didn't like is that the market is so saturated and so expensive at the moment that I think that market momentum, I'd probably pass in the moment. So Okay. Be sure to check out the show notes for this and other episodes at bshortspodcast.com. Let us know what other businesses you'd like to learn about and be sure to leave us a review in iTunes. See you on the next episode. You're listening to the Business Shorts Podcast, where we interview successful small business owners in unique markets, all in under 30 minutes. If you want to start a small business and you're not sure what market to enter, or you're looking for actionable advice on how to improve your existing business, you're in the right place. For more information, show notes, and more, check out bshortspodcast.com.